0: Everybody. welcome back to But Why The Podcast, and today we're talking about one of the very first slashers, Psycho. As always, I'm Kate, and I'm here with Adrian.
1: Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello.
0: And it's a horror episode, so of course, we have Alex.
2: It's me, your spooky boy. Yes. <laughs> and Seinfeld.
0: Yes. Me, and Seinfeld. Yes, and your Seinfeld boy. boy. <laughs> and your Simpsons boy. horror and comedy the two best genres honestly displaying empathy
2: 100%
0: and to have
1: Alex on which is the better part I think
2: thank you I appreciate that (laughs)
0: um so I actually realized... Oh, yeah, wait. Tell people where you're from. Yeah, I... Mean, like, I if, if they haven't gotten used to you Yeah, right no, my
2: relevant credentials <laughs> for this episode is that I work for Friday.com, which is a genre and horror news and review site. Um, also, my grandpa was an usher when this movie was in theaters and saw it like 13 times. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then.
0: That, 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 that's the credential yeah. that you're here yeah, for, yeah. not Friday.
2: Yeah, I, <laughs> I had no idea that it was one of his favorite movies, um, but then my grandma told me, she was like, oh yeah, he worked in a movie theater when that came out and just like watched it repeatedly. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. Um, Okay. So my first question, which I didn't write in our show notes, um, is just really, do you like Psycho? Have you watched Psycho? Is this only, new, do you only know this through pop culture?
2: I'll, I'll i'll go first i've i've watched it i do like it a lot uh i think i had absorbed parts of it through osmosis before seeing it um just you know references to norman bates and all that like i was aware of it um but then actually you know made the time to sit down and watch it and uh, have seen it several times since and even watched the terrible 90s adaptation
1: uh horror so therefore i know by osmosis and i think i've seen the vince vaughn
2: movie man that's the worst
1: I version think, i'm sorry i think it was like on tv <laughs> or something and I, and I think i watched some of it um it didn't look very good but also it's like horror so like just by virtue of it being horror i am automatically go into it thinking that it's going to be just not for me but i know about like the story and i know enough through like pop culture to know like you know I don't know, all the stuff you need to know. Like, if I go on South by Southwest mm-hmm. and they have, like, a Norman Bates thing, I'm like, oh, I know that thing. I understand the pop culture reference here. But, again, it's, like, yeah. some dude killing people. And that's not what I want to go watch. <laughs> it's le- Unless it's Vince Vaughn. It's and then I like guess I'll go watch it because I guess I've seen that one.
0: It's a select amount of people with the possibility yeah. of having killed many more.
1: Yeah, and like I've been chased (laughs) by like the that's the guy, like the thing, right? Like in in Universal Studios, like when you do the ride and the guy chases you through the thing. Is that this?
0: I don't know what Universal. I've never been, so I do not know.
1: I think it is. I know that there's a
0: Universal Studios attraction, and I know that the state the 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 motel set, is preserved on the Paramount lot for people to come and Mm. visit. Those are my. Those are fun facts. So there we go.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, when you take, like, the the thing at the Universal Studios, um, you, like, drive by, like, the hotel, and then, like, Norman Bates comes out, like, walking with, like, a knife or something like that. Oh, that's fun. Chases you as, like, you, like, drive away. So, again, I know that, I know that that was what was going on without someone telling me because I know enough through pop culture stuff.
0: Okay. That makes sense um i obviously love this movie it's why i'm leading this episode um it's also going to be celebrating its 50th anniversary
2: oh is that coming up am i
0: adding right yes no
2: it's
0: 60 60 okay (laughs) it's gonna be celebrating what is 40 plus 20 (laughs) i have two degrees and none of them are in math so it's fine that's why we Um, don't
3: those seriously
0: but I really, really like this film, and it was one. Um, and I've talked about it before. We used to use the library to get a lot of our, our VHS rentals, um, before mm-hmm. like block before we were doing blockbuster and stuff like that. So I got to watch a lot of the old Vincent Price movies, and this was actually one of them that I, uh, one of the Alfred Hitchcock movies that I watched because my mom was always really, really in love with Alfred Hitchcock. So the birds. I watched it too young and now I'm terrified of birds um, vertigo uh, this. And so uh, I watched it fairly young. I mean, it's tame by our mm-hmm. standards, not tame by 1960 standards. And it's something that's always just kind of stuck with me. And I think it's something that I always think about when I watch new horror mm-hmm. movies is how much of this is like callbacks because I feel like Psycho is one of the most called back movies because it establishes so the last many name things Loomis. from mirrors to showers and that kind of stuff. Yep. Matt?
3: Oh, so good. Um, I feel like I've seen this one time, but it was like another one of those like back in like the, almost been probably about 30 years at this point. Since I've seen this movie, like, and I've only seen it once, but I've probably gotten more of it kind of like everybody else, especially Adrian DeRosmosis, I've seen all the other stuff through it. And also, you kind of brought it up of when people always talk mm-hmm. about Hitchcock in this movie, I'm like, birds is better. Um <laughs> <laughs> I actually do, I mean, obviously, I don't know about some of the later bird movies, as we got to like almost three or four of them, I believe. Mm-hmm. I can't remember how many were, but like, I actually really do enjoy it. The birds movies. Um, I'm not terrified of birds like some people here are. But uh, obviously, I'm also with the whole, like, I don't know the 90s movie, whether it's Psycho or if it's American Psycho, if those are even the same thing. Or there's an American Psycho too. No, they're not. I didn't think there they is. were. But there's always, like, those all just get convoluted in there of, like, do these even matter and why are these here? But.
0: So, American Psycho is a completely different thing based on a completely different model, uh, a different novel that is deconstructing masculine tropes in satire. And this is about a crazy man.
2: Mm-hmm. Who... Now, would you watch Psycho starring Christian Bale?
0: Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would! I would. Well, that's all that matters. He, he, he would, would need to <laughs> definitely... <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I thought that's what we were covering today. And I was like, why are we covering, like, the 2000s American Psycho movie <laughs> for our pop culture
2: episode? No, we'll, we'll cover American we Psycho 2 starring Mila Kunis. I like that one. That one's kind of cool.
0: American Psycho 2 is actually really fun.
2: Is it? I have not watched it. I've just seen I, Is it. Is the subtitle, like, All-American like all Girl or something dumb like that?
0: Yes. Mila Kunis makes a really good, like, person- but it doesn't hit as hard because he doesn't ha- it's not playing with the same thing yeah. it's playing with like obsessive girl uh but yeah, on to the actual topic, which is Alfred Hitchcock's psycho <laughs> um Alfred Hitchcocks Psycho is a psychological horror slash thriller There is also debate on this one because this one was also nominated for awards. Um, and at this time, horror film was very, very different than what was presented here, and we'll get into that with the but why those. Um, and it was directed and produced by Alfred Hitchcock, and it was written by Joseph Stefano. It stars Anthony Perkins, uh, Janet Leigh, who uh, you should know as is the mother of Jamie Lee Curtis, um, which is why there's that uh, mm-hmm. they always do the the comparisons of their scream queen faces. Um, there's John Gavin, Vera Miles, and Martin Balsam, and was based on the 1959 novel of the same name by Robert Bloke. Uh, the plot is really simple, we've kind of already talked about it, Norman really loves his mom, Norman also likes killing people. Um, <laughs> but it's more complicated than that, in that the plot doesn't run uh, the way anybody expects it to, even by today's standards. Oh, I guess today it's kind of normal now, mm-hmm. but uh, Hitchcock routinely introduces new characters throughout the film and they, they kind of die. Uh, but it all starts with pretty much a slice of life. You have Marion, who is your main character, played by Janet Lee in the middle of an affair. And you find out that they can't get married because a guy has a lot of debt. So when she goes to work, she's asked to deposit, I think it's like $40,000. And she leaves early to do it, and she makes the choice, well, instead of depositing this money, I'm going to take it and run it over to California to pay off this guy's debt so I can marry him. Uh, along the way, she ends up stopping at the Bates Motel, and they. she ends up meeting Norman Bates. And after having here overhearing an argument between Norman and his mom, they end up having like a little dinner together, and it's really creepy because he's surrounded by taxidermied birds.
2: That's a, yeah, that's and a lot. He
0: makes comments about how she's a bird and she eats like a bird, and it's you know something's off. Um it, it it's it's really weird. Uh, Anthony Perkins is phenomenal in this role because he's both attractive and like really psychotic um, in subtle ways. And what happens from that point is, as he explains his mom, the fact that she won't let him leave and, and she's kind of like this trap for him, uh, something clicks in Marion's head and she's like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to head back to Phoenix and I'm going to turn in the money. And it, she kind of gets over this fantasy that she's had. Yeah. Um. Then she decides to take a shower and that fantasy is completely mm-hmm. gone because she dies. Uh, 40 minutes into the movie. Hour, the movie is an hour and 40 minutes. And this is the first, this is something that just doesn't happen. And so everything that follows that is essentially like a murder mystery almost with a private eye getting involved, her sister coming in, ultimately to reveal, and this movie has been out for 60 years, I'm going to spoil it because it it it's very important to what this movie does as a <laughs> whole is that essentially uh, throughout the entire film, we think that it is actually his mother doing the murders because the silhouette that you see is a woman. And it turns out that it is actually Norman who had killed his mother and her lover and then felt bad and kept her body. And it caused a psychotic break in him where he splits into two different personalities. And so he is actually he he sees his himself as his mother when he's doing all these things. And, uh, the film ends with mm-hmm. one of the greatest shots of, of Anthony Perkins. And it's, it's, it's a really, it's a really mm-hmm. good movie. And it's something that really shook everything. Um, and like I said, it's based on Robert Bloch's novel. But all of this, and the really interesting thing, as we're as we're moving into the the history of the film and the history of of the source material, is it's actually based on Ed Gein. Um, I like true crime. Ed Gein is probably one of the most infamous folks, um, and <laughs> essentially both Gein. Uh, so Gein actually lived a little bit away from Blook, so they were in the sim- in a close radius. Um, but Gein mm. and Norman Bates were both solitary murderers in o- isolated rural locations. They each had deceased domineering moms and uh, sealed-, sealed off a room in their home as a shine to her. They both dressed in women's clothes. And unlike... Unlike Bates, Gein is not strictly considered a serial killer because he was only charged with two murders, and to be a serial, Mm -hmm. you have to do three or more.
2: He was more so a grave Uh, robber, right?
0: Yes, he was a grave robber because he would rob graves and then make... Arts and crafts. ...shades and belts. Yeah, the belt
2: is the worst thing. It's the worst... Of things... Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Of things that he found in the graves... Yeah. ...is what I'll say to keep this, this episode not... Rated Seriously. R. <laughs> uh, also,
2: fun fact: uh, Geans is the basis for *Silence of the Lambs*, *Psycho*, and *Texas Chainsaw Massacre*. So, as far as Hollywood saying based on a true story, like, really, really hold that loosely.
0: <laughs> Real liberal usage of it.
2: Seriously.
0: Um. Yeah. Any questions?
2: I mean, I'm tracking. I'm right there with no. you, but I'm the spooky one, <laughs> so. <laughs>
0: Um, But but the cool thing about not cool thing, but the way that it really deviates is that there you don't really have uh, and you don't you don't have Norman really taxidermy people. He's he's doing it with birds Um, and it's really creepy because they're everywhere. And I don't like I like stuffed Mm -hmm. animals as in I like plushies. I don't like taxidermied things. They scare me. I get sad. I don't like it. I mean, there was that
2: one dude. I don't remember his name, but he thought that, like, the big thing was going to be having yourself taxidermied after death instead of being buried. Uh, So he had himself taxidermied to, like, proof of concept it.
3: Hey, at least he went proof of concept. Right? Like,
2: it definitely didn't catch on. Like, if you want to go visit grandma, you want to go visit a tombstone, not grandma. I mean, isn't that
3: what wax museums just are?
2: Basically,
0: wax museums scare me. They scare me very much. Which I will say, I'm not scared of like the human body exhibit that mm-hmm. they do at like museums, where it's like the, the like a viv- vivisected body, body and stuff. That doesn't freak me out. Animals, though, no, nope. no, no, no. But yeah, so as we move into like the rest of the history. Um, The way this film, this film almost didn't get made, like this film got made because Hitchcock was so in love with the source material, he did everything he could to make sure it would be made. So essentially Paramount, whose contract guaranteed another film by Hitchcock, didn't want Hitchcock to make Psycho, and it was because they were expecting no bail for the judge, which was supposed to start Audrey Hepburn, who became pregnant and then had to bow out of the film. This led Hitchcock to, uh, scratch the, uh, scrap the production entirely, and essentially he brought them a, the, the version, the book of what he wanted to make, and pitched that, uh, requesting a little bit over a million dollars, um, and essentially their official stance was that the book was too repulsive, too repulsive, and impossible, uh, impossible for films, and nothing, and it was... Uh, gonna be nothing but another of his star-studded mystery thrillers. Would nothing but another one of his star-studded mystery th- thrillers would suffice. Um. So after talking them into stuff, Psycho ended up being shot on eight hundred thousand dollars, which was well below the million-dollar asking price. And essentially, in order to get this and to make the accommodations of such a low budget, Hitchcock essentially said, "I will do it." cheaply and i will do it quickly he shot it in black and white he used all of his alfred hitchcock presents television series crew to shoot it and when paramount refused to give him the budget essentially uh, executives at first resisted this cost this cost conscious approach claiming that their sound stages were booked but the industry uh but the industry was in a slump and so hitchcock countered that he would personally finance the project and film it under Universal International using the Shamely production crew, if Paramount would at least agree to distribute the film. So in lieu of his usual 250000 director's fee, he proposed a 60% stake in the film negative. And this combined offer was accepted and eventually let for this to happen in spite of the studio. And so essentially what that means is that instead of getting paid to be a director, he instead got paid for whatever was done with the the film itself. Um Is
2: that George Lucas money? Yes.
0: yes. <laughs> Where he's like,
2: "I'll take the merchandising rights." And they're like, "Okay, <laughs> idiot." <laughs>
0: And now uh, I also, have.
2: I did the inflation adjustment. Uh, that eight hundred thousand dollars is still almost seven million today. Oh shit! Right?
3: Yeah, but it's still like seven million. Can we even make? I mean, are they even making films on seven million anymore? Like
2: indie movies, basically.
3: Yeah.
0: Like a twenty-four.
2: Right. I mean, like Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. got paid like how many like tens of millions for Avengers.
0: He got paid pay like 30 mil. Something didn't he? like that. Something
2: like that. So yeah, the idea of making a movie yeah. today on seven million dollars, like on the whole, like that's that's insane. At
3: least a movie that we know is gonna go into like theaters,
2: probably. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so essentially because he had no money, he had to leverage his reputation to get people to come work for it. So Hitchhawk ended up uh, casting Lee for a quarter of her usual fee at twenty five thousand. And that the, the stuff around that is that this was the last film of her seven-year contract. Uh, so back then what happened was studios would actually buy actors. And so for like the next seven years, you had to produce like 11 films for that studio, but you Mm -hmm. couldn't do, like, other things versus actors signing on for individual roles. So they were studio-bound versus just...
2: Basically making stables of actors to pull from.
0: Exactly. You mean
3: basically what Disney does now? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, oh, you mean old
0: (laughs) concept? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they can do other stuff, though, so...
3: There. Disney still
2: owns it. Yeah, this it was it was yeah. such a weird model though, because uh, like someone could be like, "Hey, we have a really great movie for you, but it's over at MGM," and you'd be like, "Well, shucks, like talk to me in three years."
0: Uh, and so a lot of people have speculated that that's the reason why she took it at such a low, um, mm-hmm. a quarter of her rate. Like she she essentially deserved to be paid a hundred thousand dollars, um, and so people just uh, assumed after that it was because she wanted to get out of the contract and just make that that last movie. Um, others just saw it as, uh, it, it, because there's a lot of gendered issues with Alfred Hitch, Hitchcock, he was a not a good person, that um, that was one of the things. Um, but ultimately, after, so Lee was, is, uh, agreed to do it only after she had read the novel and so she essentially didn't even make an inquiry about her salary um and then the co-star anthony perkins agreed to forty thousand, which is also lower than his rate but still higher than lee um and i think they both have about the same amount of screen Mm -hmm. time because marion is really the only person featured in the within like the first 20 to 30 minutes of the film and then norman is the center of the film after uh after marion dies um so when you look into how the film was adapted from the novel the screenplay is relatively faithful to the novel but there were some notable adaptations made by hitchcock and stefano uh one of the big reasons for a lot of them was censors but the other reason was that hitchcock wanted essentially camera angles and some scenes in the book wouldn't actually translate mm-hmm. to being able to get inventive angles, especially from the voyeuristic ones that he was using. Um, so Stefano essentially found the character of Norman Bates, who in the book is a middle-aged, middle-aged overweight and overtly unstable and unsympathetic character. But he became with the idea of creating him into a very sympathetic, alluring man. Once Anthony Perkins was cast.
2: It works so much better.
0: It really does, because uh, it's unassuming. It's the same. It's the same reason American Psycho is. It's because it's somebody who you're supposed to be attracted to and want to be around, and then it's mm-hmm. like, oh no, this is bad. Um, in
2: is that where we get things like they could murder me and I wouldn't even be mad about it?
0: Oh dear, <laughs> like that
2: mentality in fandom. I
0: think so. <laughs> oh no, I don't like this. Elks. You
3: brought this upon
2: yourself. It's that's the first you thing that I thought of was like people yourself. being like, look at this picture of this gorgeous person. They could murder me if they wanted. Yeah. It's like that.
1: What's that show that is about like the serial killer guy who's like attractive, but he's like actually like insane and puts people in the in the box. Was it you?
3: Yes.
0: yeah. It's
1: oh, you. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on when I. When you, he's also
0: not attractive, and I don't understand it. Those people need some help. That's all I'm gonna say. Um. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but in order to make him more sympathetic and make him more attractive, Stefano ended up eliminating Bates's drinking, which was necessitated by also removing Bates' becoming mother persali- personality when he was in a drunken stupor. So in the book specifically, uh, Bates only shifts to being his mother when he's just completely drunk, when he's blacked out. So that's what causes that schism um but by removing the drunkenness in order to make him more appealing to audiences they had to come up with a different reason and this is where you come up with the use of Mm -hmm. a like psychotic split and this is something that is used uh that i don't think this is the first film to do it but it's it's it it essentially establishes the trope Mm -hmm. of like a dual identity killer almost that you see happen a lot in other slashers but a lot in in psychological Mm -hmm. films to begin with um, they also ended up moving uh removing Bates's interests in spiritualism, the cult, and pornography, because those three mm-hmm. things were really, really present in the book. And again, to make it more palatable, they removed those elements. Although there is still a scene where um I think her name's Lila, uh uh Marion Sister comes mm-hmm. to the hotel and she does find a book of pornography, yeah. but they don't show anything mainly for the censors. But the way she mm-hmm. acts out the scene, you know that it's something like heinous. Um, and not all porn's bad, but like the porn that a serial killer is looking at, probably not great. Probably <laughs> so not great. Everything
1: yeah. ab- well, and I, I think it's also... I was going to say, they just changed everything about this character except for the fact that he kills people.
0: Um, no.
1: It's And the mom thing.
2: I think getting rid of a lot of the overtness though is is like we were been talking about what makes Norman so effective is like rather than spending a bunch of time establishing what a deviant he is it's just like no it's just a guy who runs a motel yeah. with his mom and that's all so you get So
0: essentially to really push like so how do I see? so in a in a psychological movie right like just think about the ones you watch when you see a killer, you're trying to understand why the way they are, why they're, what their methods are, why that's happening. And if you have somebody who is so overtly doing these things, that type of mystery is entirely removed. And it also puts, as an audience person, your guard is already up. Um, in a book, it's a little different because you're not really confronted it in the same way as you are in a visual medium. Um, so mm-hmm. they change those elements, but everything else when it comes to like taxidermy and all of these other things, um, fits. So like the entire story structure, all of the other characters, Marion is pretty much the exact same as she is in the book. Only that instead of focusing on Norman for the entirety of it, Marion is actually the focus of the film in the beginning when you get to see her life and everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's to build... Uh, essentially an empathetic bond between you and Janet Lee uh, before Alfred Hitch- Hitchcock says no at the 40 minute mark. Uh so that's that's essentially what happens. But Norman as a character physically and and that kind of stuff is 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 changed drastically, but his motives are still the same essentially.
1: More sympathetic if you're attractive. Got it.
0: Y- yeah. <laughs> and not drunk.
1: Step 2, don't be unattractive. Step 1, <laughs> no. be
2: attractive. Step 2, don't be unattractive
0: so yeah that's kind of all of the the history of the film how it got made and where it originated so we're going to get into our but why those after you hear about this ad from manscaped If you're listening to this podcast stuck inside your house with your significant other, I want you to pay close attention. Today's sponsor, Manscaped, can help you out and make the most of your time together. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving your balls. It's time to quarantine Manscaped and chill. But now that we've said what they want us to say, here's what we think about the products.
1: Yeah, so Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their perfect package. It's the perfect package for your package. In the Perfect Package 3.0 comes with the Lawnmower 3.0, which is waterproof, cordless, That is has this crazy technology that doesn't nick your balls when you put it next to your balls. Did you hear me? It doesn't nick your balls. That's the best part. But it also comes with some other liquid that are going to help you kind of round out your manscaping routine, which are also fantastic.
3: Wow. You said balls a lot. Because you know why? We're all about <laughs> keeping good ball hygiene. And I don't know about you all, but as we all know, we all are from Texas, and I've lived here majority of my life. When we have a saying go, we sweat our balls off. And so you know what that means? Basically, make sure your balls are in good hygiene. Let's not forget about the crop preserver, the anti-chafing ball deodorant, and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits, right? So why not put deodorant on the smelliest part of your body?
0: So I obviously don't have balls. But as Bruce Wayne's bat peen has shown us, significant others very much like them to be shaved. You're probably spending more time than ever with your significant other right now. And let me tell you, we notice if it is not kept nice down there so um the cool thing is is that subscribers get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months and i'm gonna be honest i don't think quarantine is gonna be done next month no matter what people say so having them delivered will help keep you nice and fresh throughout this whole thing
1: yeah i mean for a limited time subscribers also get not one but two free gifts the shred travel bag which basically is a bag for all of your wonderful trimmings and you also get the patented high performance anti chafing manscape boxer briefs they are Amazing. the most comfortable boxer briefs i own i love them if i could buy more of them i would so you can get 20% off and free shipping with code but why though at Manscaped.com. that's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. and use code but why though most people are loading up on toilet paper, but I'm loading up on Manscaped products. Help your relationship out during this quarantine, your partner, your body, and more importantly, your balls will thank you.
0: So heading into the book, Why Those, the very first one has to be Psycho's lasting impact on horror. Uh, Psycho essentially became one of the most recognizable films in all of cinema history, but is also Hitchcock's best known film. Uh, in his novel bloke used a common plot structure he repeatedly introduced sympathetic protagonists then killed them off this played on the reader's expectations of traditional plots leaving them uncertain and anxious hitchcock re or uh, recognized the effect this approach could have on audiences and utilized it in this adaptation killing off lee's character at the end of the first act The Darien plot device, coupled with the fact that the character was played by literally the biggest box office name in the film, was a shocking turn of events in 1960, and it's something that slashers would use later. And honestly, it happens in a lot of uh, horror casts. And yeah, so Scream is probably one of the best examples. This specific part has its own... Let me check has its own section, so I'll get into that a little bit later. But this, the idea of not getting attached to characters really starts in Psycho, and it's something that bleeds out into the rest of horror, and it is also something that bleeds out into other genres as well. The Because before this, you had this sense of security mm-hmm. where your, your characters are going to stay, you're coming in a movie for this, and this just kind of shatters that idea. Um, Psycho is also considered by some to be the first film in the slasher genre, but if you ever go into a trivia uh, contest with a horror person, they're going to bring up the fact that Peeping Tom from Michael Powell, Powell is in fact the first slasher, but it was a lesser known film, but it also had similar themes of voyeurism, sexualized violence, Um, but it only predated Psycho by a couple of months. So either one of those answers is correct. I'm going to say Psycho because Psycho was critically acclaimed and audience acclaimed. Mm -hmm. And it got Oscar nominations. It should have won. Um.
2: Yeah. If you shared a theater run, I feel like it's fine to say either one.
0: Exactly. Um, so ha. Not that, you know, actually, horror people aren't as bad as, like, comic people about that stuff. But... That's
2: that's true. But I, I've definitely heard the peeping Tom argument. I've also heard people say that, like, um, Black Christmas and it's like, that's way off. That's a decade late. But I yeah. can see. But it's it follows the traditional slapstick sure stereotype more in terms of like final girls and all that other stuff. But yeah, it's yeah, the horror community is more understanding and more nuanced, I think.
0: Yeah, because it's also like you have the prototype, the, the blueprint, the blueprint is psycho. Yes. Then you have the iteration on it, which is Black Christmas, which then sets up Halloween, which utilizes the exact same viewpoints in Black Christmas, which also utilizes the voyeuristic nature of Psycho. And then you have Friday the 13th come in that is literally made to catch up on Halloween type, and that's how you have the, form- the foundation of the Slasher sub mm-hmm. This has been Horror History talk. with Kate. <laughs> <laughs> um... So the cool thing about this film, and one of its really impacting things, is the fact that it was film. It was shot with fifty millimeter lenses on thirty five millimeter cameras, and was specifically used to provide an angle that was similar to human vision. And it was to help further involve the audience and give them this sense of looking in. It really puts you in Norman's shoes, and like the one of the first moments, not first, but like the biggest moment that this happens is when. Marion is getting in the shower and you're you're the shot begins where you see Norman go and he removes a, a picture from the wall and you see the peeping hole and so he goes and it shifts from him looking through the hole to just the camera looking at her and it very much puts you in the position of being in Norman's shoes. And this mm-hmm. is this is the first time you really get this, and this is something that you that travels throughout the rest of horror. And it's something that is used a lot in Giallo film, in in, in Italian giallo, giallo film, which we talked a lot about on our Friday the 13th episode. Um, but it's also something that is greatly utilized in Black Christmas and Halloween. Um, and it's always fun, because if you're looking through the through the killer's perspective, you a lot of the times it's used so that you don't know who the killer is. But in other in other ways it's used for you to get really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and unsettled by the fact that you're having to be in that position. Um, The murder of Lee's character in The Shower is the film's pivotal scene, and it's also one of the best-known scenes in all of cinema. It was shot with 77 different camera angles, and it essentially finished... uh, the finished three-minute scene includes fifty cuts. Um, it was a lot of work. So essentially, they would uh, the the majority of it they would shoot the entire scene in in one angle and then cut together each of those angles to provide differences. And part of this was done because uh, Janet Lee was naked in the shower and you couldn't show that. In fact, they had to remove a butt shot to get past the sensors, but the other half was to show the confusion and the erratic nature of the attack. Um, and you switch perspectives from her perspective being stabbed, the perspective of the person stabbing, and then an outside perspective, which allows you to see the blood going down the drain. Um, and it ends with this really tight shot on Janet Lee's eye that is still actually really chilling. Um And essentially the combination of close shots and the short duration makes it really, really intense and subjective and your brain kind of fills in a lot of what you're missing from the quick shots. Um, Hitchcock described it as Mm -hmm. transferring the menace from the screen into the mind of the audience And this is the visual sensation that's Hmm. key in slashers, especially when you have a lot of the kill shots in these movies. And and this is more so slashers as they're arising in the genre because this switches, by Friday the 13th, this intimate these intimate scenarios are replaced for really big, grand, gory kills, which is fine. But there's still something that this sets up of having that uneasiness, and I think some of my favorite. And this is actually utilized in the home invasion genre, um, more so than slashers now, where you have a lot of those really uh, closer moments. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, there's there's a difference between mm-hmm. watching somebody one on one versus. Here's an axe through the skull.
2: Yeah, I think it's partly because slasher, like we said, when you know we got Friday the Thirteenth trying to just capitalize on hype around Halloween and everything, you really get the like now we're it's about hunting teens, um, yeah, and it's it's a lot less um, stalkery, I guess, even though stalking is a part of it, and so yeah, when you have those smaller. Uh, more focused in things like The Strangers, I think, is a good example where it's like it's just the the two people in this house and the people terrorizing them, and that's all we're getting. Whereas, like, what is it like yeah. a dozen uh, counselors in the first Friday the Thirteenth?
0: Yeah.
3: Just do not open or the her... door. Oh. Huh? Just do not open the door. <laughs> you would think. <laughs> I don't know why you. Why would you not open the? Why would you open the door?
0: Yeah. They've gotten better about that in home invasion movies and hush. She doesn't open yeah. the door and that's the entire premise of the film. <laughs> it's honestly the only thing with,
2: I like, I loved hush, but I wanted it to be a silent film. I thought that would have been so interesting if you didn't even have audio cues. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that, because the moments in Hush where they do that are, are is, is, it, it's, uh, Hush yeah. is some of Flanagan's best work mm-hmm. when it comes to sound. The shot design, of him dropping in right, behind her. Been even better to have and it's just dead
2: quiet and you're just like, oh, come on.
0: Yeah. Uh, but we don't get Hush without Psycho. So uh, <laughs> the other piece, uh, we talk, when we talk about music and horror, a lot of uh, John Carpenter comes up a lot, and specifically Halloween and these giant these giant orchestral like visceral scores psycho in that shower scene is it's nothing but screeching violins violas and cello although Hitchcock wanted that scene
2: silent first right
0: he wanted it silent he wanted every scene in the motel to be silent okay and then the um, uh, Herman who is was uh, Bernard Herman, who was the composer composed The Murder is the name of, of, of the piece of music that plays. And once they compared the two shot, Hitchcock realized that it vastly intensified the scene. And this actually doubled Herman's salary because now he would score the entire film and not just sections of it. Um, and that... That type of screeching violins, not that it hadn't been used before, but it's something that we see mm-hmm. travel into James Wan's work in a very, very similar fashion. Um, it's that You've heard it
2: even if you haven't seen Psycho,
0: yes, exactly, and it's at those climactic moments where it cuts in, and you just feel those chords like through your body it's mm-hmm. very intense like if you've watched uh, insidious is probably the best usage of it mm. and it's not even just usage when you're watching the film it's usage when the cre- when the title card is coming up cuz you just have a black screen and then all of a sudden screeching and it just kind of jolts you and that's what happens in that shower scene um and now I mean in general this is one of the most iconic scenes and a lot of slashers and a lot of horror movies have sla- have shower scenes for varying effects sometimes it is just mm-hmm. for boobs other times <laughs> it is just because showers it, it's one of the most mm-hmm. vulnerable places yeah. that you can Alien be. Covenant used it and oh yeah and that, I
2: mean that's a movie that obviously oh, yeah. people don't have great feelings on but that shower scene honestly it was kind of effective because that one it was specifically a couple And you're just, like, watching, you're like, oh, like, they survived, they're having an intimate moment, and then Xenomorph.
0: Yep. And that's, and that's something that, like, I'm sure people would have used showers before, but I think that Psycho really showcases the, the vulnerability of the shower. Because a lot of it, thematically, is she supposed to be washing away that, like, that, that sin that she was creating? It was her moment of, like... I'm showering, I'm going to bed, and then I'm heading back to Phoenix, and I'm turning in the money, and I'm not going to do bad anymore, and oh, no, somebody's killing me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, like, it's... it's, That
1: explanation is just perfect.
0: (laughs) I mean, like, how would you feel if you're like, man, I did something real bad, I'm going to shower, go to bed, and I'm going to say I'm sorry for it tomorrow. We're done. This is going to be good. Oh,
1: no, someone's killing (laughs) me. I love it. I love it.
0: Um, and this was actually so impactful that, uh, Janet Lee has talked about how she refused to take a shower if her door didn't lock and she would only take showers when it was necessary because when she shot that scene, she was like, oh crap, this is really the most defenseless you can be. Um, and so it it actually impacted her for the rest of her life. Um also it is a it is a myth that they use cold water to facilitate the scream that is Janet Lee screaming on her own and acting it wasn't forced through cold water um and she did a multiple interviews debunking that mm-hmm. and saying no the crew had hot water available for me the entire time it was never turned on in that way um but given hitchcock's record with mistreating his actresses it was totally in the realm of possibility
2: oh right like <laughs> would not put it past him
0: yep all um, i learned in old films one of the other... are
3: great from mistreatment the authenticity
2: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> no that's that's the problematic thing is that abusing your actors is okay if you have a really great performance in film out of it i mean like Stared. it's not okay it's never okay but we excuse it apparently when it's a good movie
3: i think we've done series in week-
0: blair witch project done- we also have an episode on that mm-hmm. we've done the shining at this point yeah. yep um, which, not saying that what the actresses in The Shining and Hitchcock's movies went through wasn't bad, because it was, but, like, the directors of the Blair Witch Project purposely starved and scared and got their actors lost to facilitate real fear.
2: Yeah, it's pretty messed up. But people oh, love it. Oh,
0: God.
3: <laughs> Great film. Great film, though. People love that reality TV. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, so one of the other big but why those is really just how this pushes the censors. So Psycho is a prime example of a type of film that appeared in the United States during the 90, the 1960s, and it it because of the erosion of the production code. So as a production code, which limited what could be shown on film, what types of what types of subject matter could be on film, um, who could kiss, who couldn't, that kind of stuff, you end up having uh different different films being produced into the 60s and the 70s, and you have more artistic, more voyeuristic pieces being made. Um... And ultimately, as a film that wasn't being produced for the specific purpose of being controversial or being filled with sex and that kind of stuff, um, this was one that was made to be mass produced and mainstream. It was unprecedented to have this much sexuality and violence because the opening scene is literally two people on a bed after they've done it. And mm-hmm. them talking about how many times they've done it in the past, um, and that scene originally had them to touching and together, and uh, Alfred Hitchcock essentially redid that scene to facilitate it a lower rating, um, to make it through the censors, um, and essentially, the production code standard was that unmarried couples couldn't be shown in the same bed. And that's like Mm -hmm. bare minimum. And that was done right off the bat. So this this movie really flies in the face of any sort of standard that was set on film before this. And a lot of people think that that's one of the main reasons why it didn't win any awards when it went up for them.
2: Oh, yeah. This movie, Um, when it came out, was like it was trashy. Like it was people thought that it was like a gross, trashy, lowbrow film. And now we praise it as a hallmark of cinema. Mm hmm. Sixes is pretty garbage. <laughs> so, was it the first... That's a garbage time. Was it the first movie that showed a flushing toilet, I think, was the other weird thing? Yep. Yeah.
0: That, yep, Apparently, that was the other yeah, thing. Yeah, that
2: was also sin and not to be seen.
0: Yep. Um. And then the one thing and the funniest piece of all the censors is when they watched the first cut of the movie, the censors said that they could see Janet Lee's breasts in one of the shots. So Alfred Hitchcock took that film back, waited a little bit, did nothing to it, and then brought it back to them. And the people who said that they saw it last time didn't see it the second time, and that's how he got his film past the censors. Also, bold move. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah the one thing he did do is he did remove the stand the uh there's a shot there was a shot of janet mm. lee's butt that he ended up taking out um but yeah uh essentially as well internationally it ended up being censored so Hitchcock was hitchcock was forced to make minor changes to the film mostly in the shower scene in other countries uh in britain the bbfc requested cuts to stabbing sounds and and visible nude nude shots and in New Zealand the shot of Norman washing blood off of his hands uh wasn't shown uh Singapore through the shower scene was though the shower scene was left untouched the murder of Abagast and the shot of of Norman's mother's corpse was removed which is actually interesting because the murder of that dude is not that bad like the worst Mm -hmm. like the worst moment of violence in the film is the shower scene um, which fun fact those sounds were made by stabbing a melon
2: that's so weird I love hmm. foley work yeah. because you do get things like that I'm like <laughs> oh yeah we just like you know hit some drywall with a wrench to get that noise it's like what you
0: yep <laughs> Um so the biggest thing that this has uh and it's it's if you're familiar with scream and how craven marketed Drew Barrymore for his film as being the main star and the main attraction and then killing her off in the cold open it was an escalation of what Hitchcock did here because as we've talked about Janet lee was one of the biggest working actors actresses of the time and she was the leading name on the on, on all marketing um, and she dies at the 40-minute mark. Um, and because of this, Hitchcock ended up doing most of the promotion on his own and forbade Lee and Perkins from making the usual television and radio or print interviews for the fear of revealing the plot. And they actually didn't do any private screenings for critics. And he essentially, even though there was worry from the studio of what this would, of how this would impact the critics' scores – hitchcock was so focused on preserving the secret that he just didn't care um and essentially this was also the only film to have a strict no entering after the film began policy and this was because hitchcock was worried that audiences would be mad at him for going into the film and showing up halfway and realizing oh janet lee's not in this movie
2: Yeah. It's honestly, it's probably one of the earliest examples that I'm aware of, of sort of like spoiler culture, so to speak of like preserve the narrative. Don't ruin it for anybody. Uh, and I think that that's super interesting that even like back then he was like, no, 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 you can't watch this and know that already. And I'm, I'm wondering how the novel plays out then, um, between one, her no longer being in the film and two the reveal around Norman. Um, like, is that much more upfront in the book or is it, something that they still save for the second half?
0: So I'm not sure. Um, Cause I haven't read the book. The only thing I've, I've seen is just what I read about. So,
2: I mean, book. same. Yeah. <laughs> um, But yeah, I'm just curious how, like, cases. how does this story work? But if it you would know be interesting about Norman in advance.
0: Yeah. No. Cause I would think that it would, it would change mm-hmm. it a little bit. Um, because you're kind of just waiting for the other yeah. shoe to drop, as opposed to like, oh, this is a yeah, nice like he's guy. He's a little bit off,
2: but he's nice. You know, kind of so, isolated, but he'll be fine.
0: Yeah. So,
3: w- were people just showing up in the middle of movies this time?
0: Yeah, apparently. Because, like, obviously, I it's a
3: no entering after film begin policy. Because, I mean, I guess I get that in general the general concept of the policy, but he didn't want his audience to feel betrayed showing up halfway, didn't see her, and I'm like. Do people just show up to movies? Yeah, why are you showing up halfway through, a through your movie in
2: the first place? <laughs> That's what I was
3: confused. I'm like, was this actually? I mean, I'm a, I guess was
1: the traffic of the 1960s just too like, much? Not a legitimate just too thing much traffic to get to did? your movie on time.
0: I have no idea, but I would assume so because, like, I also feel like film culture was like very, mm-hmm. very different back then and like how people consumed it. But I have no idea. But, like, everything I read and, like, because he did interviews about it, he w- he it was a very, like, real fear for him yeah. that somebody was going to walk in and be angry. He wasn't worried that people were going to come in at the beginning and be like, oh, no, she died halfway through. He was worried that they would show up mm. after she had already died and not see her and be mad.
3: That, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's just weird because, yeah. like, because yeah. even the way you said it sounded like legitimate fear, which apparently it mm-hmm. was. And I was like, who's showing up halfway into a movie.
2: Hmm. Although I wonder yeah. how effective like, it is sit- uh, for hype of like making it more exclusive of like, Oh, everyone's seeing this movie. And also if you're late, they don't let you in. Like, yeah. Cause I mean, if, yeah. if I was told okay. like, here's this movie, if you're even a minute late, they're not going to let you in. I'd be like, well, crap. Now I have to be there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Cause like, obviously the screen scenario, like Drew Barrymore dies in yeah. the first like, 10 minutes. So yep. like, Obviously, that one you could understand, but this one being forty minutes in, like that's that's a long. I time. I can't imagine
2: showing up that late to a movie and still going in. I would just like try to yeah. get a refund on my ticket. I can't yeah. believe
3: they even let you in. I mean, I guess that's just it. like today. I don't even know if they'd even let you in just because they're like, yeah, they,
2: yeah, they wouldn't. They wouldn't even sell you the ticket. You'd have to have bought it in advance. And they didn't have the internet back then, so you would have had to buy it at the door. Which means that they were selling tickets to a movie that was already halfway done. Right.
0: The only thing I yeah we'll take your money. Yeah. The only thing I can think of as a theater culture back then was very much show up to this place, something showing, walk in versus because like they there weren't that many at. That's
2: true. So it was just like go see what you can see. That's
0: the only thing that I can exactly. That's the only thing that I can think of. Like literally just hanging out around town and be like, you know, we should go see a movie, and then just like going into the theater, or at least that's how. 50s and 60s media or this is okay at least that's how contemporary media that is showcasing what it was like to go to movies in the 50s and 60s yeah I don't know enough about like
2: physical theater history to the
1: picture film
0: yeah
3: don't even show up on time see at this point all these people old people they didn't even watch any of these movies they just saw bits and pieces they just showed up
0: Oh, maybe that's why everybody loves Citizen Kane because that movie's trash and way too long. That's what I'm
2: saying. Maybe that's how come they love all the old movies. I tried renting and watching that movie when I was like in fourth grade, I think, because I had just heard it was like this cinematic masterpiece. And I was like, I like movies. I want to watch one of the best movies ever made. And like 20 minutes in, I was like, what am I doing? I'm so
0: was, bad.
3: That's why all these movies everybody says are good. They never saw the whole thing, <laughs> they watched the YouTube version.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Um, so the other really cool thing about about Psycho is it's a version of romance, domesticity, and expectations for audiences. Uh, so in Psycho, Hitchcock subverts the romantic elements that are seen in most of his work. The film is instead ironic as it presents clarity and fulfillment of romance. Uh, past the central, uh, the past is central to the film and the main characters really struggle to underza- understand their own personal and destructive histories and they all ultimately fail about that there's a scholar by the name of leslie brill and she wrote that the inexorable forces of past sins and mistakes crush hopes for regeneration and present ha- and present happiness and this is what you see by marion deciding to right her wrongs and then immediately being killed additionally norman is so obsessed with keeping time frozen that he is—he has taxidermy, um, and you have these kind of dualities that go through it. As Marion exists, and she's she's denied of like love and marriage for a romantic reason, and, and and debt. And then you have, uh, you have Norman who very much wants that family, that love, and those things, but he's denied by his own actions. Uh, so there's a lot playing with that and essentially the way it works is uh you have norman mm-hmm. representing like the badness of being stuck in the past um because he 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 suffers from this idea of what a family needs to be, what a mom needs to be um and I mean, Norman literally, like, the shot in the parlor, it's just stuffed birds everywhere. Like, I don't know how somebody walked in there and didn't think, oh, this is immediately creepy. This man is crazy. I should have just stayed in my room. Uh, um, and he has childhood toys in the room, too. Like, it's really creepy. And he's hostile when she makes a suggestion for him to move out for him to put his mother somewhere for him to get out of the past. And that's really what spurs him killing Marion at the same time as well. Um, Yeah. I don't know if you have anything to add on that point, Alex.
2: No, I, yeah, I think that's all pretty spot on. It is, uh, like like their two story or narratives are, incredibly deep for how brief they are ultimately when you think about it like we see them for what an hour 40 minutes and there's so much to unpack with each of them and i i think that that speaks to the quality of the of the film and the script um but yeah i think like you were saying that you know she suggests well why don't you move out and he uh, what's the line i don't think it's right then but the a boy's best friend is his mother yeah yeah there's just like that line alone there's a lot to (laughs) to go into especially once you find out what you find out about him
0: yep one of the the film's larger controversial issues is the gender bending of it. So per or in controversial at the time, controversial now, it's it's really interesting, and I'm only going to talk about it from a high level perspective because I'm not queer, I don't have that lens, but I do suggest people read uh, some of the queer readings of Psycho, and I'll link to them in our show notes so you can check them out. Um, there's a lot of really good academic articles that uh, that are. That specifically talk about querying Alfred Hitchcock's work, uh, because there are tropes throughout each of his films that kind of deal with these things, Um, and so essentially the viewer, uh, yeah. So Perkins, the reason that this is, as we look back on it, is interesting, is because Perkins, uh, I, I don't believe he ever came out, but I think all the stories around him and his life is that he was gay. He was a gay actor at the time. And essentially, he was playing a man who was, who was dressing as his mother and was wearing women's clothes. And so that naturally in that uh, the act itself in the 1960s was transgressive. And then in afterwards, it a lot of the commentary is about what it was like to be a gay actor mm. doing fulfilling that role. Um, now the thing about it is that it doesn't, it's not like some of like the, the, there's a really bad trope in horror where you do have, um, A gender betting done to show it as evil Mm -hmm. and it's specifically tied to the way people express themselves and their sexuality in psycho that's not that's not what's happening because norman isn't expressing sexuality Mm -hmm. he's expressing like a psychotic break um which comes into like you know how do you deal with mental illness that kind of stuff but he's never trying to Mm
2: -hmm. he's
0: never trying to be a woman he's just trying to be his mother specifically because he's trying to keep his mother alive through his own actions because he's so guilt-ridden. But the transgressive nature of the film, when you look at it, is because you end up having all of these shots of murder done by showing a woman. And then at the very last moment you realize, oh no, his mother is actually dead. She's not the one doing it. It is him. And then they take him in while he's while he's wearing the wig and uh, and her dress. Um but yeah, I have. I will yep. link so people can find, uh, people more qualified than me to talk about the 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 gender mm-hmm. and sexuality aspects of of Hitchcock's work and then of Psycho as well. Um, one of the so like the last real but why though is the fact, and we've kind of touched it already, that this is the first psychological thriller, the first psych- psychological horror film. Because mm-hmm. mainly because of the sex and violence in the film, because it had never been shown in mainstream film, and the shower scene is both is is done to be as seen as both feared and desired. Hitchcock may be may be scaring his female viewers out of their wits, but he's also turning his male viewers into potential rapists because Janet Leigh has been turning men uh turning men on, and that that was from Serge Kraginski, who was a French film critic at the time and that's one of and that Mm -hmm. the sexual violence aspect of it is something that comes up a lot when you look at these voyeuristic films um and it's something that you've also that you also see in games around that nature and that kind of stuff and it it's made to make you really uncomfortable um in both the sense of this could happen to me and oh my god why am i like it switches Mm -hmm. and so essentially in in the way that women are attracted to norman Bates and he's gonna kill us it's kind of like oh i'm attracted to janet lee but now i'm having to be put in the show into the shoes of this man who is gonna kill her um
2: yeah and that's that's something that we've definitely just kept leaning into with film as we go on like yeah uh uh, cabin in the woods is a good example where it's like let's get you topless straddling chris hemsworth in the woods and then you're gonna get hit in the back with a bear trap on a chain Mm -hmm. and it's just like it's for the audience it's a real quick shift and like you're kind of expecting that something bad's gonna happen because you know it's a slasher and they're off going to have sex isolated but at the same time like you're watching this you're like oh okay like this is you know fun or whatever and then immediately being hit with some graphic violence Mm
0: -hmm. and i mean and i think too like and it's it's funny that adrian brought up you but like this dynamic of this dynamic of making people scared and making people like wanted and turned on mm-hmm. is something that's something that you does mm. and it's it does it effectively and it and it, it's supposed to make you really uncomfortable i didn't finish watching you the first time around because i was deeply uncomfortable so i turned it off the second time around once i knew what i was getting into i binged all of it but that that first time I was it was like it was so unnerving and uncomfortable that I did not know how people were watching it. Um, and that's something that really gets solidified in this type of mainstream voyeuristic filmmaking that Hitchcock starts. Well, I guess not uh, Peeping Tom exists, whatever. But Hitchcock really starts <laughs> with a popular film that gets made like that. Um,
1: Is the guy attractive in Peeping Tom?
0: I've never seen it. Like, I mean, when you look at horror, you really end up balancing the lines of sex and violence, and it's something that is exploited. And it's something that is, in in my opinion, is mm. only now getting the right kind of treatment because we're actually having more diverse storytellers telling it because it was very over the head when mm-hmm. it's directed by a dude a lot, a lot of the time. So it's it's like... Tits and sex and this and that and then it's like okay but where's the nuance and things and I feel like uh, now because it's been so overdone we're seeing it critiqued a lot differently
2: yeah um, honestly I'm excited for whatever um Jordan Peele does next because he said you know he was doing his trio of like social commentary so we've had yes. race we've had class the next thing is like gender and sexuality
0: it would have to be and I cannot
2: wait to see what he does making like a horror film about that
0: it would be amazing and I really can't wait. Um essentially and so the to kind of round out this topic, um, as much as we focus on our lead, this is one of the early times where we really get a psychoanalysis and a deep dive into what is making our killer tip tick and what is pushing him to mm-hmm. do these things. Like as much as this is Janet Lee's film in the first half, that completely changes the moment her body gets dumped in a swamp um and you from that point it's less about her murder or really even solving it and more about like just trying to find out why the hell mormon bates mm-hmm. is doing this uh which i mean it, it it's it, it's the standard for psychological crime thrillers right like you have oh, yeah. somebody who follows a serial killer or follows like a crime person and it's all about like Finding out why they're doing these very these things. And if you look at something like seven, that sex and violence is also very present. Mm -hmm. Because that that for me is like pinnacle psychological thriller when Mm -hmm. I think about it. Um, And it's all used effectively. Yeah. And yeah, so like, finally, it's kind of a franchise. That's my final but why though? There's what, four or five of (laughs) them? Yeah, but nobody cares about them. So I didn't know how to really structure this because usually Matt leads with a successful franchise when he does his episodes. Successful franchise when he does his episodes. But it's not really a successful franchise. Like the first movie is just really good and that made them want to keep doing things with it. But people just keep talking about the first movie. Um,
3: so all this is af- is basically Jurassic Park
0: yes that's that's a good equivalent <laughs> a better
3: version
2: Honestly, of Jurassic yeah. Park <laughs> or worse
0: version um, after Hitchcock's death in 1980 Universal Studios began producing follow up movies Psycho 2 in 1983 Psycho 3 in 1984 and Psycho 4 The Beginning in 1990 Notice these are all 20 plus years after the original yeah. film came off, came out. That will let you know of their quality. Um, the last the last one, if you couldn't guess from the beginning part in the title, um, was a part prequel television movie uh, written by the original screenplay author, author, Joseph Stefano. Anthony Perkins returned to his role as Norman Bates in all three sequels, and he also directed the mm-hmm. third film. And the voice of Norman's mother was maintained by noted radio actress Virginia Gregg, with the exception of Psycho 4, where the role was given to Olivia Hussey. Olivia Hussey, I love her so much. Um, And then Vera Miles also reprised her role as Lila Crane, who is Marion's sister who goes to investigate uh, her disappearance in, in... and she reprised it for Psycho, Th- Psycho 2. Um the sequels re- the sequels res- received mixed reviews but were universally considered inferior to the original.
2: i mm-hmm. um, I've heard the third one is surprisingly good.
0: I kind of want to I kind of want to watch these now. I just you literally waited until the creator died to make sequels. yeah.
2: So. That's kind of rough.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and what I have seen, though, is the 1998 Gus Van Sant film. It's so bad. Uh, which is a shot-for-shot remake in color starring Vince Vaughn, Julianne Moore, and Anne Heche. <sighs>
3: Just the movie doesn't why? exist. The movie doesn't <laughs> there's, exist. There's nothing
2: unassuming yeah. about Vince Vaughn in that film.
0: <laughs> no, he's creepy from yeah. the jump. Like, they went back to the original version of what Norman was. Because, you know, like, even without knowing Norman, there's never a moment where you're like, oh, yeah, I like this guy. Nope, not at all. Nope. Yeah, but
3: isn't this almost like, is this peak Vince Vaughn? Or have we got, like, a few more years for the
1: kids?
0: You have a few more Mm -hmm. years. This is, like, the start of Vince Vaughn. This is, like, right around Swingers, right? Yeah.
1: I think is what it was.
0: Yeah. Okay um and van sant said that this film was a huge kind of experimental project and that though it did not do well commercially or critically he would do it again maybe why, but but chance. why it doesn't need to happen nope no it does not <laughs> um, and it, to put this in perspective like there are bad reboots and remakes this is up there with like 2016 yeah. cabin in the woods and uh yeah it, it's just or not really cabin in the woods
2: cabin fever oh
0: yeah cabin fever yeah sorry night cabin, Lewis, cabin fever. although
2: that one i i haven't watched it but i think it's funny because i know eli roth signed off on it because he was just like honestly i'm curious what's gonna happen like yep. his whole logic was just like wait, wait, wait you want to do you just want to remake my movie exactly the way i did yes <laughs> I want to see
3: Which?
2: trash. It's kind of, like it's huh? honestly I, though. I get it if someone's like, I want to redo what you did, and it's just being like, I'm so curious how that's gonna play out. Like,
0: I'm I'm oh, down yes, to get drunk
3: like and watch can? this one night. Let's do this. That's basically they're gonna remake my work.
0: <laughs> um, but what was it? The Night of the Living Dead remake is actually good.
2: Oh yeah, that one's been remade like what three times. Yeah, this the point? first
0: remake. What is it?
2: Uh, the '80s on. remake I think is the one that people really like
0: yeah
3: well isn't the thing the same way well it's
1: like a win-win situation though right like if they make it and it's terrible people are just like oh well i'm gonna go watch the original Mm -hmm. now yeah and it brings people back to the original and if it's good then like oh yeah this is good too let's compare how good they are in their goodness like someone wants to remake myself like i hope you fail (laughs) so everyone realizes how much better i am the thing
2: with the 90s psycho that i remember is that the color palette is so thoroughly 90s
0: it is it, it's, it's like really that bad. like chartreuse
2: green and reds and it's just it's ugly. It's so thoroughly of the era, but mm-hmm. not like the good part of the era.
0: Yeah, that's the reason why it was good. Tom Savini made the 1990 night of the living dead. Oh, yeah.
2: Tom Savini's great.
0: Yeah. And obviously Tony Todd uh Oh, yeah. So like it yeah, it's good. That one's good.
2: Man, like what a what a powerhouse to make that film to bring in those two.
0: Yeah.
3: Um I said, you have the thing, which was remade for the '80s with John Carpenter. Huh? The thing. Oh
0: yeah, that's right. Yeah, which is the also thing. another one. I forget that the thing is a remake, yes. right? Because John Carpenter's The Thing is one of the best movies ever made. Yes, yeah, that, but the that
3: original is crazy. actually still pretty good.
2: Oh, is it? I haven't watched the original. Yeah, no, the
3: original is actually pretty good. It's not as good I've as the 80s. one. Okay, but the original is actually really good. I don't know I how it holds they... up now. It's been about like freaking 60 years or
0: something you know yeah 50 years I will say the simplicity of Psycho it holds Mm up that that is one thing that I really liked the the narrative I I actually think people who who haven't seen Psycho would still appreciate everything that Psycho does because it's a narrative that we're used to and because it doesn't show a lot and so it allows you Mm -hmm. to fill in a lot of the pieces there are some moments like when What's his face falls backward down the stairs when he gets killed? Like, that's cheesy and you know it is. But, like, everything else, it's very character-driven, very, uh... It's just simple, yeah. and that simplicity just works really well. Like, I think you could come in and watch Psycho and mm-hmm. still really have a great time. Just not the 90s one. Um, it's, it's effective. Um, yeah, nope, not the 90s one. Not Vince Vaughn. Unless
2: you want to see Vince Vaughn jerking it. <laughs> Ugh!
0: I hate I'm it intrigued. so much. I'm that's intrigued. one of
2: that's one of the things that they added to it was that when he's like peeping through the hole, he just like you hear a belt buckle come undone and you're like, Nope, I'm out. I cannot it's do this. So
0: <laughs> bad. It's so bad. And it's so bad, but the poster for it was so good.
2: Oh, I don't know if I know the poster.
0: It's also just hard, too, because when you do a shot for shot remake, if not everybody like everybody who who is in that film has to be better than the person in the mm-hmm. last film or as good. And none yeah. of them are. And that's the problem. Um, And then finally, it, you had the film 7852 Hitchcock shower scene, which is a documentary directed by Alexandria, Alexandre, uh, Alexandre Ophelipe. He also did um, Memory, the making of Alien, which is also a really good thing. So essentially he makes documentaries based on one scene. Mem- uh, Alien mm. was the chestburster and this was the shower scene. And he deconstructs and analyzes mm. uh, the scene itself and what it means to the space around it and to the film. It's really, really cool. Really, really good. I believe they're both on Hulu. So I would recommend people watch that. It has uh, interviews from Guillermo del Toro. um Brad Eason Ellis, Jamie Lee Curris, Karen Kusama, Eli Roth, mm-hmm. Oz Perkins, Lee Winnell, like all the big folks. Um, and then you have the five season A&E series called Bates Motel, which mm-hmm. essentially shows you how Norman Bates becomes Norman Bates. And that has a horror icon, person I don't necessarily love to watch on screen, Vera, Farmi- <laughs> Vera Farmiga. Yes. And uh, Freddie Highmore, who is now in The Good Doctor, I believe. That ended, um, correct? Uh Base motel, yes, yeah, so it's done.
3: But that yeah. was actually rated I, pretty well, was it not?
0: Yeah, it was. So it was it was really critically acclaimed. It's a really well done show. I only watched the first two seasons, and then they got sloppy with putting it on Netflix. Um, like there were just really long gaps, and now hmm. I believe it's all on Netflix now. So I should probably watch that. But it was a good show. Like I never saw anything bad about it, honestly.
2: Yeah, that's I've heard it's really good. I just I didn't watch it because it didn't feel like a prequel that I needed personally.
0: Yeah, but yeah, so that's that's pretty much it. Oh yeah, there's no Adrian. Yeah, uh,
1: I wanted to see if there was a a musical for this because after Kate described like the movie a little bit more in detail, I wanted to see if there's a musical. There isn't, but there is a musical for American Psycho, which go on apparently (laughs) does pretty well because like I googled Psycho musical and there's just like pages and pages of this american psycho musical that ran in like 2013 I love and i that. guess was even running in sydney as of 2019 so now i'm j- i'm just you know. stuck on the idea
2: of a, to... of a psycho things you probably didn't need to know a psycho but now you musical do, so. with like a real old-timey vibe to it like songs like a boy's best friend and it's like just big song and dance numbers uh, and then just the shower murder so, song.
0: Oh, my yeah, God. Just... I'm not going to lie. I really want to watch this American Psycho musical because an American Psycho musical sounds yeah. perfect. Like, also, that this, this uh, really logo too. for it so, with the bloody
2: headphones is incredible.
0: It's, so is really I will say,
3: I do find it interesting that we talk about Kate. I mean, obviously, it's kind of Kate out at the beginning, but just saying of, like, is this a franchise or not? The fact that all of us, we well, may not all of us, Adrian and I, and probably the general public are like, what is American psycho and how much we've talked about it. And all of us have talked about this entire show realizes that nobody cares that there's other three other movies to this quote unquote franchise, but we do know there's unrelated things that just happen to have the word psycho in it that people know. and confuse um,
2: about. I'm upset because there's not a single Huey Lewis and yes. the news song on this soundtrack. <laughs> oh, we know hip to be square is on here. <gasps> what? Okay. I was gonna be very upset. I didn't. I wasn't okay. seeing it, and okay. I was gonna I was be like, very. You can't do yeah. That.
0: You can't do it without hip to be square. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, that's all I have. I had some fun facts specifically that the name of the character was changed. The name of Janet Lee's character was changed from Mary to Marion because there was a real Mary Crane living in Phoenix. Um. And then both leads, leads, Perkins and Lee, were given freedom to interpret their roles and improvise as long as it didn't involve moving the camera. And one of the examples of that happening is Perkins' improv- improvisation as Norman's habit of eating candy corn. Um, and then, in this is not a fun fact. This is a scary fact. Uh, until her death in 2004... Janet Lee received strange and sometimes threatening calls, letters, and tapes detailing what the caller would like to do to Marion Crane. One letter was so grotesque that she ended up having to pass it on to the FBI. Two agents visited Lee and told her the culprits had been located and that she should notify the FBI if she receives any more. So that's terrifying. Uh which mm-hmm. Which is actually really sad when you look at how many women in horror have had to deal with that stuff. Linda Blair's another one. Linda Blair used to have actual Ridiculous. priests coming up to her trying to physically exercise her. Like she needed bodyguards.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's why we can't have nice things. Yeah. People are very dumb. Yep. Very very dumb.
0: Um, but that, that's all I have on Psycho. Um, final thoughts.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I didn't know how much stuff lent from Psycho, like the 1960 film. So I think that's kind of cool to learn and really shows his importance. I don't know what Peeping Tom is. I looked at the like, the, the thing for this. That dude looks creepy, and he has like a video camera. Is he really a Peeping Tom if he has like a video camera? I don't understand. So I'm going to go with Kate. And if I'm ever in trivia, I'm just going to say Psycho is the first slasher movie thing. Definitely do. That seems cooler. Um, I... Now I feel bad that I watched the Vinspawn version. So no, I, need, I think I need to go back and watch the 1961.
0: So I do think uh, I do think you could watch the 1961 because it's horror, but it, it's psychological, so it's something that you can handle. It's not like the
1: yeah, and in, uh, like I said, like, I know like the general the plot and stuff, and I you know whenever you go to Universal, you go to, like on the tramp Tour, and there's a guy putting the body in the trunk and chasing him with like the, the thing. Um, but I guess I can understand it more. It seems pretty cool. All this, like, there's like like a lot of really good info in in this one in how much it changed. Like, we've covered like a lot of horror stuff before, but like this changed, you know, psychological like thrillers. This changed slashers. Like this changed, um, you know, mm-hmm. promotional changes to like where you couldn't show up in the middle of the movie. Like this changed censorship. Like this movie has done way more than I ever thought it would. So I think that's all pretty cool. Yeah, um, I'll still
3: probably. I'm pretty sure I've seen it like once in the 90s, um, probably never going to watch it again. Um, but it's only funny because like obviously I knew a lot of this, not as much detail, but I already did know like the importance of like why this was. Obviously there were some fun facts I didn't definitely know and learned today, but just like I knew that it caused everything and the mm-hmm. way people talk about it. The shower scene has always been one of those like, it's still weird because I've watched it, and it still doesn't quite hit, but obviously I don't know if it's just like a time mm-hmm. factor. That's always been the one biggest question of, like, I know everybody says this is the best scene in cinema, and I'm always like, why? But then, obviously, I wasn't alive in 1960, so I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Um, And so it definitely has the whole... And it's just interesting, especially because, like, knowing how groundbreaking it was, and we've talked about this with other movies, of, like, are we more like it's weird because like we don't have as much sensors but we still have like stuff with non-sensors and then like ratings and i don't even know what is whether we've gotten better with sensors or not or we haven't or we just desensitized everything in general and that's obviously a different conversation but as we've gone and talked about all these different types of movies and ratings i mean even some of our movie stuff we did for you know our patreon a while back of just like it's still a conversation oh, every time we do this it comes up with interesting of like our mm-hmm. rating system good, bad have we moved yeah. forward have we haven't because like we obviously it's, allow a lot
2: more the MPAA like, is a
3: trash organization, organization is the big thing but then yeah. it's also like if somebody says the F word we market radars yeah. <clears throat> and then you go back to yeah. Hey.
1: someone goes poop no no good yeah. <laughs> can't can't go poop don't go poop in our movie
3: but anyways to wrap it all up um, obviously I know this is important and it led to a lot of different changes and a lot and then a lot of stuff and psychological thrillers or horror or whatever we call this thing you know bobber are always fun mm-hmm. in a lot of ways to watch.
0: Um my final thought is there's a reason that this film is on 6 AFI 100 years lists. Um it is number 18 on AFI's 100 movies. It is number 1 on AFI's 100 thrills. It is number 2 on AFI's uh, villains 100 Villains It is number 56 On 100 movie quotes For boy. a uh, boy's best friend and his mother uh, It is number 4 For 100 years of film scores And it is number 14 for 100 years uh, 100, mm-hmm. 100 movies with 10th anniversary And editions um, And I think that it's lasting impact Both being recognized officially And the fact that it's in the Library of Congress um, That can't get taken away um, and I, I, I think it, the fact that it's a touchstone for me when I watch other film, um, I've only seen this movie maybe three times, but I can see pieces of it in in so much of the media that I consume that it, mm-hmm. if we do for an sure. Alfred Hitchcock episode, we'll get into like the, the, the problems he had and all that stuff. But I do think that Psycho really solidifies him as like one of the, the the builders of what we get today um yeah alex
2: yeah i think for me the like the big thing with psycho is that it um going with what everyone's popular thought here has been like it is the the um father of slashers like i it, it's not the first but it's the first good one you know um like apple yeah. making the ipad where like wasn't the first tablet just the first time somebody did something semi-competent with the concept um <laughs> And so it it started this genre that has been used for decades to explore morality and ethics, to analyze politics. Um, It's a genre that gets written off for being dumb and tropey because a lot of it is dumb and tropey, but it's also incredibly useful as a tool for artistic expression and for philosophy and all these other things. And like we don't get that. We don't get movies like Get Out. We don't get like modern art house horror without first getting Psycho. Um, And I think taking that first step and being willing to be that trashy movie that starts pushing boundaries so other filmmakers can move in and do it like that is an undeniable legacy of this film. And I think that it has pushed American cinema and in broader cinema like worldwide into a um, important and more thoughtful place. Um, Yeah, that's what I'll say.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Alex, for coming on and talking psycho with us. It was fun.
2: Always a blast.
0: Um, why don't you tell everybody where mm-hmm. they can find you?
2: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at MostAlwaysAlex. You can find me on FrightDay.com doing genre and horror news and reviews. Also uh, hosting the Writers Room podcast on their Patreon, which is uh, it's once a month, but it is free. You don't have to be a Patreon patron to get access to it. Uh, and also, you can find me on Game Boys, which is a co-op and multiplayer gaming podcast that I do with two of my good friends.
0: Nope. And as always, you can find the podcast at but why PC on literally everything if you want to support us a little bit more head on over to patreon.com slash but why pc and you can find me at oh my randier on twitter adrian
1: yeah you can find me on twitter at superrus 93 s-u-p-e-r-r-u-s-e 93 matt birds are still better if you don't believe me
3: i'll stick birds on you to attack you
0: oh my god